Hello, this is Hank Gross, MidHudsonNews.com, with a special interview with Karen and James Whalen. Karen is the sister of Megan McDonald, who was murdered in the town of Wallkill 19 years ago, and James is her husband, and we discussed the case just recently. Karen, you were Megan's sister. Yes. How old were you when she passed? Um, I was 24. I'm four years older than Megan. Okay, and I know it's 19 years, is it, since she passed? Yes. Yep, right. it was in 2003. So what's the message that we want to get out um, and, and reach the, uh, the masses in the Hudson Valley? So this is um, actually a new message that we sat down after um, thinking, um, you know, after contacting you. Um, this is something we haven't said before and we think is the most important message right now. Um, so we appreciate all of the community involvement that has been happening with Megan's case. We know that our message must get through to a handful of people. The police have mentioned in other interviews that there was another person in the car besides Megan and the killer that night. This is the chance for his family, that other person in the car, for his family to do the right thing. They have limited time before someone else, like the coward, writes the narrative for them. They have a chance to keep their loved one's legacy intact since there was somebody else there that night. I've thought long and hard about the quote Megan would use in this situation. If she were here, if my sister were here to talk to the person that can come forward and needs to come forward, I think what she would say is, love is how you stay alive even after you are gone. Megan would have done the right thing for this other person that was in the car um, that saw what happened. It's time for his family to step up, and they need to do it now. Now, do you have any um, special moments that you think back on uh, with uh, things that you, you did with Sis, hanging out with her, doing things with her, uh, special memories that, that um, keep you going and, and keep her memory going? Yeah, you know, one of the things, um, a sweet thing with my sister is she was a big animal lover. Um, and after my grandfather had passed away, um, she had gotten, she picked out a cat for my grandma to help keep her company. And that cat um, was the perfect cat for my grandma that she, um, just like my sister, um stood by my grandma and um, protected my grandma. If people got too close to my grandma, she would, you know, hiss at them, <laughs> take a swipe at them. Um, when, my, when my grandfather had passed away, my sister had moved up with my grandma for a little while to help uh, over the summer to help, like, take care of her. So since she couldn't stay, she got her a cat to help out. So. And did Megan have any pets? Yeah, we we had pets growing up um, our whole lives. We've always had cats growing up. So after Megan was gone, were the cats uh, looking for her? I know when my dad had passed away, his beagle was looking all over the house, uh, uh, you know, sniffing yeah, his, his shoes yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, there definitely um, was an adjustment for her kitties. This uh, the the incident occurred. Uh, we believe in the town of Wallkill, uh, where her. Um, her body was found, and um, it just, it's a terrible situation, and even though it's 19 years, 
it still has to leave that hole in your heart. Yeah. 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 No, a hundred percent. Um, we, you know, it's, it's birthdays and celebrations and especially Christmas time, um, that you, you feel, you know, the, the times where she's really missing, um, her, she just would have celebrated her 40th birthday at the beginning of this month. Her birthday is May 2nd. So we chose um, that day. We decided as a family we, are, we weren't going to be sad that day. We were going to celebrate her and celebrate the beautiful life that she was able to um, live for those 20 years um, before she was taken from us. So we do. We choose on, on May 2nd every year. We choose to um, celebrate her life. And what was the uh, official uh, date of death, uh, date of death that they put down for her? Um, so, what the day that we use is March fifteenth. Of what year? Two thousand three. Um, is mom still with us? Yeah, 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 yep. So that I mean, this has to be difficult for her. It's one thing that, um, as tough as it is for for you as as big sis. Um, it had to have ripped mom's guts out. Absolutely. Right? Um, you know, the death of a, of a child is something that um, she will never be able to get over. Um, one thing, too, that I, I don't know if you've, you, you know, you've seen um, is <clears throat> that my father was a New York City police officer for 20 years before he retired, and that the DEA has um, really come and stepped up and helped to fill his shoes um, that since he's not able to help out with this investigation. He passed away a year before my sister uh, did. Um, and I, the gratitude that we feel as a family for the DEA, the state police, the FBI, and, and all the law enforcement we can't even begin to explain the gratitude that we have for everyone. Um, you know, as a kid, I saw my father. Um, there was a part of his career that uh, he was actually a homicide detective. And I saw what it did to him um, personally and how he took these cases to heart. And so I can't imagine um, what these officers have been feeling for all of these years. And Karen, do you think um, that if he were still with us, uh, he could have uh, solved the case? Um, <laughs> I think the case would have been solved in, in a different way. <laughs> you know, his baby girl being taken was, you know, people have said it's probably better that my dad went first. So we want to get that word out, and, and maybe the um, the other person uh, with him, or maybe the uh, the killer himself, um, has developed a conscience. And uh, yeah, we're hoping that that um, coward feels the pressure, knowing that everybody is looking for him. That even though 19 years has gone by, the case is now stronger than ever. And you have, like we said, the state police, the FBI, the DEA, local law enforcement. Everybody in the community has the posters of my sister up right now. There's 
you know, electronic billboards that Lamar has put up. There's also a rolling billboard that can be seen around town. Um, everybody's on the lookout. So we're hoping that the pressure that this, that this coward feels is enough to say enough is enough, and uh, that's the end. Or the people around him, the people around him that know you're going to go down with this sinking ship because they are going to make an arrest and everything is going to come out. So you have this chance now to do the right thing and be the hero and put an end to it instead of going down with the coward. Now, were they, um, was there evidence that uh, she was at a party or, or a social gathering with, fr- with friends at the time? So I... I, I don't know. So I, you know, they, so the the police have said, you know, they've said this publicly, that Megan had been at a party the night before she died. Um, some, you know, some, somehow she was driving by a party. She was right. right she dri- drive. She wasn't at a party. She was driving by a party. Yeah, that's the last time people saw her alive right. was outside. Right. Spoke spoke with spoke with some people, and, and somewhere along the line, uh, you know, wound up. You know, Megan was in her car. With the coward who killed her, and this other and this other person who who is now deceased, not sure how you know, how they got to that point. But again, I, you know, I think the key point here that that we're looking to convey is you know, there, there's a small universe. We we appreciate the community's involvement, but mm-hmm. there's a small universe of people here who who potentially have information that that can that can end this case. And move it forward and hand it off to the district attorney. And, you know, it, it, it's it's the killer himself or people close to him that he has shared information with. It's the person who was in the car who witnessed this and saw what happened, and the police have said was troubled by what had happened. And 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 any this person's family who may know and has held on to information. And we're reaching out to those people uh, now. That now is the time. Now is the time to speak up, and now is the time to do the right thing because Megan certainly would have. Mm-hmm. Now, given the fact that it's, it's almost twenty years, and you're um, uh, ratcheting up this whole uh, effort, do you think this will be the time that yes, we will catch the bad guy and and prosecute, and the family can rest? Yes, we have um, no doubt in our minds that this is imminent and it's coming, um, and we are starting to prepare ourselves um, for that day. We know that it's coming. Um, We know it's coming, and we know it's coming soon. And, in fact, we actually take great comfort in the fact that um, we hadn't ever um, publicly gone to a – crime victims vigil before, and the one that we chose to participate and speak at, the DA happened to be the, um, the MC for the night there. And so we really, um, we, take, we took comfort in the fact that that shows how serious he is about victims' rights, that he was there that night. And so, I think, yeah. I think the one thing that, that, that's clear to us is the, the end of this case is imminent. We appreciate that this has been a more challenging case, but the, the hard work that the police have put into this case, we are eternally grateful for. And we, we know that we're reaching the finish line here. And, you know, we're, we're, our message now, I, I think, has not only been support of the police, 
But looking forward to that time in, in the not too distant future, when the police hand that case off to the district attorney, and we look forward to the district attorney prosecuting this case and prosecuting this this coward mm-hmm. uh, to the utmost. I mean, the one thing, something that we have consistently heard from the community in, in, in the Middletown Wallhill area is the impact this case has had. So many people have reached out to us that they may not have known Megan, but they've seen her smiling face mm-hmm. for almost two decades. And I, I think there, there's an anger there that people have that a coward has been hiding in plain sight for almost 20 years and deserves to be brought to justice. And, and, and the community absolutely, I think, will demand that justice will be served. They've seen the efforts that the state police have put in for 20 years, the amount, not, not only the time, but the emotional toll that we know this has taken on them. And they will demand nothing less than the absolute same commitments from the district attorney that, that the state police have put into this. Now, the vigil that you went to, was it the one in Orange County? Yes, we went to the one that was held in Newburgh this year. So you met with uh, D.A. Hoovler? Yeah. Yeah, yes, and, and he is definitely uh, totally committed to solving this case and, and others uh, similar to it. Right. So we, we feel that when the state police hand this off to him, he'll be able to, to have justice served for my sister the way that she deserves that. Is your family very religious and... Uh, pray a lot and reflect because uh, you're so confident that it's going to be uh, solved soon? Uh, is that um, that spiritual aspect of your lives that, that help you uh, get through this and, and believe that it's going to be solved soon? Yeah, I have to say, um, Megan went to St. Joseph's in Middletown for elementary school, and then she went to Burke for high school. And there's a beautiful stained glass window that um, has her name on it that says in memory of Megan McDonald that's in the chapel um, where the students, you know, can go and there's masses said there and they can go and silently pray. So having that that there as a memory of her, I think is, is just beautiful. It's, it's nice to have things like like that, uh, beautiful imagery of, of Megan in settings like that um, for other for, for us and other people. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's really um, it's a beautiful it's, window, and I think it's a it's a beautiful representation. I think of, of a beautiful human being. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, we just have to keep hoping and praying, and and we know that the um, uh, what's interesting because it's been so many years. And uh-huh. police have uh, come and go. They've retired, many of them, probably the original investigators. But um, yeah. the the ones who followed have picked up the mantle and uh, are, are chasing down the leads. Uh, do you believe or do they believe that the killer was a contemporary of hers? Yeah, she knew him. Um, and it was a crime of rage. Um so it was very personal against my sister. And this is based on forensic evidence? Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, one of the reasons why, and I, th- I think this is the appropriate word to describe the person who, who killed Megan, is that we call him a coward. And the reason we do is, you know, when the police talk about it, it was a crime of rage. 
the police have described this person as a as a as a narcissist. So the, most likely, what happened is Megan and this person got into some sort of argument, and this person who who fancied himself a tough guy got his feelings hurt. That that Megan said something to him to hurt his feelings, and when she had in the dark with her with her back turned to him, he struck and killed her. And he's that that that's the that, that is the action of a coward. Yeah. That he couldn't, you know, Megan was was five foot two, about a hundred and somewhat pounds. And this individual, when she wasn't looking, didn't see it coming, couldn't defend herself, that's when he chose to strike. And that's the actions of a coward. And, you know, we talk about community support. I think the community recognizes the community recognizes that, that, you know, this was the actions of a coward. And this person certainly deserves to be brought to justice. Do you think that that uh, it could be a situation of solving the case by the end of the year? I Yeah, we're, that's. That's our family's hope, yeah. The right. sooner the better. <laughs> the sooner the better. Look, we, <laughs> we, we, we certainly, I, you know, I said, you know, certainly the, the sooner the better. We've, we've hoped that for a long time. You know, with, with that said, we, we do have every confidence in, in, in the investigators with the state police right now. We know that they're working very diligently. We know they're working very hard. And, and the most important thing is to get this case right. Mm-hmm. It's it's to build it, it's it's to, it's to build the case against this person the right way. Mm-hmm. So, do we wish that this would end today? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, well, but it it really could, could right? right? Like, we're what we're hopeful for sitting down. Personally, this is very hard to sit down and do um, interviews. Thank you for making it easier for us, of course. Um, but it is hard. It is hard to sit here and talk about Megan and bring everything up and talk about it. And we do it because we really feel that getting the message out and trying to talk to this other person that was in the car, to talk to their family and say, do the right thing, think about the legacy that you've, you have for this person that was in the car, um, you can do the right thing and, and come forward and help Megan and help keep this person's legacy that you've created intact for him before somebody else comes forward and says what the narrative is and, and destroys that. So we're hopeful um, that our message comes across and that the right person steps up and comes forward and, and helps the police and gets this done faster. Um, that we are talking about before the end of the year, and hopefully right around the corner. <laughs> is Megan uh, buried locally? Yeah, so Megan um, is in St. Joseph's Cemetery. Okay, right in Middletown on Cottage Street. Yep, yep. So I would imagine that every chance you have, you you pay her a visit and, and talk to her and and uh, see if she could even I send don't. you. don't. No, actually, okay. the exact opposite. It's... Um, it is too hard to go there. Um, it's easier for me to remember Megan um, it, with being the strong little spitfire that she was and being alive um, than, um, than going and seeing her in the cemetery. It's, it's actually way too hard for me to go there. Does she send you signals sometimes, communicate with you uh, mentally? Yes. So I have to tell you, at the um, at the vigil that night, um, we had to have prepared remarks um, before we spoke. 
Um, so we had a speech written that we delivered, and we were one of um, three speakers that evening that um, had the privilege to, to speak. Um, and we were supposed to be the first speakers, and we just – there was just a mix-up, I guess. And we ended up going second. After the first person went, um, one of the coordinators brought up a yellow rose and handed it to the speaker. And so I saw this box of yellow roses. And we mentioned it at the end of our, our speech that um, my sister and her best friend um, – would give each other yellow roses on their birthdays, which were coming up um, in the following week. Actually, both of their birthdays were days of each other, um, and that was happening a week later. Um, so they would give each other yellow roses, and I and the the friend, when she got married, had put a yellow rose in each of her girls' bouquets to symbolize my sister and honor her. And I reached out to... Um, her friend after to say, you're not going to believe this, that these yellow roses were there. And I acknowledged it. And she said, I don't know if you know, but every Friday for years, I would go to Megan's grave and leave her yellow roses. That's so, uh, that's special. Right. Isn't it? It's just, it is. It, it, <laughs> it, is. it was definitely, we felt comfort um, since it was the first time that we had spoken. Um, we felt after that that we had done the right thing. Sure. Wow. We felt between the roses and the DA being there that we we were we, we felt comfort in being there. Well, I hope that we that this case is resolved uh, sooner than later, and and um, like you say, the coward or the the friend of his who was there, um, mm -hmm. because I would imagine that um, to uh, leave her where they did might have required the help of more than one person? Is that a belief also? No, they no. don't think so. It was just, um, they, they, yeah. So what the police have said is that the location that they were at, where Megan was killed and where she was left, was not an accident. That the person who, the person who killed her was familiar with that location and had the and, and had access to that location. Um, so it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't an accident that they happen to be there. Right. And, but, uh, they just kind of, they just left her. But they just, but right. And then brought her car, um, back to Kensington. Um, and we don't know what the significance of Kensington is, but there must be yeah, the police, something. The police have always said that they didn't feel the car was, just, it, it wasn't necessarily abandoned. They could have abandoned the car on the side of the road, but they didn't. That there is significance that the car was left there at Kensington Manor Report.